Hello, all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures. I'm Corey. And I'm Courtney. And this is Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, a true crime show that digs into the dark depths of sinister minds, their menacing crimes, and mistakes left behind, all while sipping on a sinister cocktail masterminded by Corey for each episode. We want to first start out by saying that our sinister cocktails featured for each episode is just to help us lighten the mood a bit on the dark and horrific crimes we cover. And in no way, shape, or form, we're trying to make light of the horrific crimes. Please know our hearts go out to the victims, their families, and friends, and law enforcement affected by each of the cases we cover. Okay, Corey, what sinister cocktail have you masterminded for today's episode? I'm calling this one a Grinch Killer. One half ounce of blue curacao, one ounce of orange juice, and champagne. Combine the blue curacao and orange juice in a champagne glass rimmed with white icing and some white sanding sugar. Top it off with a champagne and garnish with a little strawberry with the stem removed and enjoy. It's so good. I really like it. It is really tasty and it's very Grinchy, so it's very Christmassy. It is. Because we're in our Christmas month. Got the Christmas spirit going on. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to lie, I do. Yeah, it's it's pretty Christmassy around here. So, all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures, pour yourself a cocktail and settle in for this sinister true crime, the Deadly French Hunter. Believe us, you're gonna need it. On the evening of September 23rd, 1995, in Solly's Pont, France, 16-year-old high school student Eric Burrell murdered his entire family with his stepfather's 22 caliber rifle. Afterwards, he walked several miles to the village of Curis, where the next morning he strolled through the streets and continued his shooting spree. Eric took the lives of 13 people, including his family, and injured four more during his deadly rampage. What had caused such a heinous act of violence remains unclear, but there was speculation that his mother, who was fanatically religious and extremely controlling, was physically abusing him as well as his stepfather. In the days leading up to committing multiple murders, Eric had expressed to several classmates his wish to commit suicide, but before he did, he was going to kill a few people first. So, was this just a sinister teen who had a lust for blood, or one that had been abused and controlled so severely that it had taken a toll on his mental health that had led to a deadly break in his psyche? So I'm going to go with the latter. I don't think he has the lust for blood. I think he was just abused. And it led finally to him committing parasite, which remember, that's what they call when kids kill their parents, parasite. Not a digestional issue. It's not a parasite. It's a parasite. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what this is as for me. I I think that this kid was really pretty abused by every member of his family. And that's kind of why he did what he did. And I think at that point, it took such a toll on him that he just started to go off and then became homicidal. And that was over. I agree with you. French native Eric Burrell was born on December 11, 1978, to parents Marie-Jeanine Parenti and Jacques Burrell, who were both working in the French military at the time of his birth. His mother, Marie-Jeanine, was extremely religious and a devout member of the Secours Catholic, which is a global network of Catholic humanitarian agencies that provides global relief in emergencies, as well as helping people break the cycle of poverty and peace-building. Eric's parents' relationship, however, was short-lived and after their separation, when he was just an infant, was sent to live at his father's parents in the southwest of France, where he stayed until he was five. During those years of living with his grandparents, Eric seemed quite happy even though his father never came to see him and his mother only rarely visited. 
well, that's not going to be very good. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that you have to understand. A lot of times when we look back at some of the cases where kids have killed their parents and committed parasite, what you're looking at is a lot of times these kids are abandoned by their parents in ways and they have to take on adult responsibilities at a child's age. So they become very resentful towards the parents in that sense of it. And, you know, adolescence is a hard time anyway with kids, right? Me and you are going through that right now with our teens. They're literally about to drive us crazy. But mm-hmm. parents have to be there, especially at your time of being a teenager in the adolescent stages. Whatever is going on in the parent's life also reflects over to the child, right? So okay. the parent becomes dependent on alcohol or drugs. Or if the parent becomes isolated and backs away from being a parent to the kid for whatever their reasons are, it does have a very big traumatic impression on the kid that can really cause issues later down in life. I would totally agree with that. It wasn't until Eric was five that Marie Janine brought her son to live with her. By then, she was living about seven hours away in Solace Point, France, having married Eve Biquette, with the two having had a son together by this time. It was reported this move was much to Eric's dislike. She should have left him there. Well, think about it, right? Your mom pretty much abandoned you. You don't talk to her for a while. And all of a sudden, she comes and gets you and she's got a whole new family. I mean, imagine how that kid responds. Yeah. And then, of course, what we're going to see in this case is that, you know, that family, her other child, her husband are more important than this son. And she really starts to use and abuse him in a lot of ways. You know, that's one of the biggest reasons why kids commit parasite is simply because of the abuse. That's one of the top reasons of why they do it. It's some kind of abuse, sexual, physical. And you're going to see that in this case again. As a child, Eric was known to be quiet and reserved with him preferring to spend his time alone tending to his chickens. But this perhaps could have been because of his tumultuous relationship with his mother and her new husband. Even though Marie Janine seemed to have devoted her life to doing God's work, she was said to be an authoritarian parent who was very controlling over Eric and physically abused him. It was also reported that she viewed her son as a child of sin. So there you go. You know what I mean? You're already having a mom that's not only starting to physically abuse him, she's mentally abusing him. She's emotionally abusing him. She's tearing him down on every single level. Fucking agree. Eric and his stepfather, Eve, did not get along from the start, and the two frequently fought. It was reported that on several occasions, Eric had told more than a few people that Eve had also physically abused him. At the age of eight, Eric broke one of his arms, and rather than go home and tell his mom and stepfather, he instead chose to run away and hide until he was found shaking from the pain. Could you imagine, like, our kids, if they broke their arm or something, they would come and tell us fucking immediately. To me, it seems he really must have been terrified of his mother and stepfather if he broke his arm in that much pain and refused to go and tell them. Oh, absolutely. That's the thing about this story and what I I keep going back into is that he was so broke down by the time he came homicidal and decided to commit the parasite because of the things that she did. Like I said, when you start to put those building blocks into place of emotional abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, it's a really bad recipe, especially at a teen years for kids. Because remember what I said, kids' brains, especially boys, their brains don't stop developing until they're about 32 years old from what we learned about from some of the studies that have come out. So with parents just disconnecting and then abusing them, we frankly don't act like adults. This is what you see happen. Eve's two sons from a previous relationship had a very different opinion about their father's treatment of Eric, telling media outlets that their father had always been nice to him, even building Eric a chicken coop for his chickens and other animals he was always bringing home. What's really funny about this is that, oh, my dad was so nice. I can't imagine. Well, just because he built him things doesn't mean he didn't on a daily basis suffer from some kind of abuse by this guy. I would agree with that. And I'm sure the father didn't do it in front of his own children. I'm sure he did it when nobody was looking and nobody was around so that he could always have deniability. Which is usually what most abusers do. Absolutely. Up until his killing spree, Eric had attended the Say Professional George Sisson, which is equivalent to American High School. 
There, he was said to be a quiet and disciplined student doing very well academically while studying electromechanics. During these adolescent school years, though, Eric began an infatuation with weapons, shooting birds with an air gun, and developed an increasing admiration for the military. He often stated that his wish was to serve just like his father and grandfather, and quite surprisingly, he adored Eve's son, Franck, who was serving in the French army. Eric's esteem for the military even went as far as him telling lies about heroic deeds of his father during the Indochina War. Yeah, so he's starting to lose a little touch of reality there too, right? I would agree. He's begging for some kind of attention. You see that. And this what turns into what it does. His lies would not end there, though. Eric told a teen girl in the next village over that he was in a relationship with his half-sister Caroline, who was pregnant with his child, but that was a lie. In fact, he didn't even have a half-sister. <laughs> I mean, you might want to have a little bit of truth to your lie. <laughs> well, but you have to understand, he's an impulsive kid. He doesn't think about getting caught in a lie. He just lies. I have a child that does that. <laughs> <laughs> Never think about the consequences of lying. Yeah. In the weeks before committing the mass shooting, Eric told several classmates that his father had passed away from cancer. But this was a lie, too. <laughs> I mean, all right, buddy. Well, I guess, but if his father's not around, though, I mean... You can say whatever you want, right? Yeah. He's not around to debunk any of those stories. During his last year of school, 16-year-old Eric's eccentric behavior became increasingly alarming when he began displaying radical changes in his conduct, becoming unfriendly and skipping classes. Yeah, and this is where you see his life start to become very uncontrollable, right? He's starting to feel like there is no way out. There's nobody here to help me. There's nobody here to guide me through this. I am on my own. And this is where, unfortunately, you know, the abuse probably gets a little bit worse because he's now becoming a little bit more out of control, a little bit more weird. His parents don't like what they're having to deal with. This is where you start to see things really start to escalate in this story. Well, I'm sure, and too, being a teenager, he's also starting to rebel a little bit. Even the best of kids rebel a little bit. They do. Lord knows. Lord Lord knows they do. <laughs> According to numerous media sources during this time, Eric's bedroom had become engulfed with Nazi and Sigma, spurring rumors that he was sympathizing with fascist ideologies. After this drastic change in his behavior, Eric purportedly only maintained one of his friendships, which was with 17-year-old Alan Gillamit. The two traveled to school on the same bus, occasionally hung out together after school, and sometimes Eric played the drums in Alan's rock band, The Black Dolphins. However, their friendship was an unequal one. Eric, who did not look others in the eyes when talking, was a shy teen and viewed Alan as a confidant. But Alan, who was rather outgoing and popular among his peers, hardly ever mentioned Eric to his wide circle of friends. Well, that's not a very good dynamic between the two. No, but you have to understand where you're at with Eric at this point in his life. I guarantee you Eric didn't view him as a friend. Eric viewed him as more of a distraction, as more of something to put his mind on than what was really going on in his life. I could totally see that. In the days leading up to Eric's deadly shooting rampage, he told classmates that he was unable to bear his home anymore. He was tired of doing all the housework and being called names. What did I tell you, right? He's starting to be having responsibility put on him as an adult responsibility. His parents are abusive towards him. So you're already putting the recipe together for him to commit parasite. I mean, there's a reasonable responsibility to put on children, absolutely, as they grow up. They need to learn how to clean their rooms. They need to learn how to take care of themselves. I was actually listening to a really cool podcast the other day, and I cannot remember the name of it because I literally wasn't paying attention. It was just looping through my podcast reel. And that's a real thing. Like, you literally can go into iHeart and it just keeps looping podcast. But it was a psychologist talking about that with kids. 
kids. And he said, when you give your kids warnings, that can be problematic. And he said, one thing you should do, like when your kids don't want to clean the room, and instead of going in there and giving them warnings and yelling at them and that kind of stuff, go get the younger sibling or the older sibling and have them go in there and clean the room and pay them out of what you would give the allowance to the other kid. And then that teaches them the effect of, hey, you know what? I had responsibilities I didn't do. And now somebody else got paid out of my money to do it. Oh, holy crap. And it just teaches a whole different level. That's a really good idea. Yeah, it's like a whole different level of accountability more for the kids because now, shit, I just lost my (laughs) five bucks out of my allowance because my sibling went in there. I don't want in my room anyway because I'll tell you right now, my daughter does not like my son going in her room (laughs) at any point in time. She'd be pissed. Number one, that he was in there, but number two, that could have been her 10 bucks. You know what I mean? So there's all kinds of different interesting ways to look at this without just putting all the responsibility on them and walking away and disconnecting. I think that's the worst thing parents can do when it comes to teenagers is the disconnecting part for them. Acting like, dude, I'm done. I don't have time. I'm checking out. That's the worst thing you can do for teenagers. I think that's where you really start to see a lot of these kids start to have the issues they're having in today's generation, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. I would agree with that. Eric also expressed his wish to commit suicide, but before he did, he was going to kill two or three people. No one is sure what exactly made Eric snap, but there was that speculation of his mother who was controlling had been abusing him as well as his stepfather, Eve. Eric's series of deadly attacks began on the evening of September 23, 1995, and were presumed to have begun after getting into a fight with his stepfather when he had tried running away from home while his mother was away at church. This is something that you also see when we start to look at parasites with children who had committed them, and there was a study done on them. It's a very small study because there's not a lot of kids out there that do it, but this is something that starts to happen. At first, they think about running away, and that's when they get to the point where, well, shit, there's no way out. Like, there's no help for me. So running away is not going to solve my problem. We saw that in our last case. We did. And so you're starting to see that here in this case, too. And interesting how you start to see how there's building blocks to doing this to kids. Before it eventually reaches to... Parasite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Around 6 p.m. that evening, while Eve was in the kitchen of the family home in Solly's Pond, Eric entered the room aiming his stepfather's twenty-two caliber rifle that was used for target practice at Eve and shot him in the head. Eric then shot his stepfather three more times before bashing his head in with a hammer. Talk about some rage. No shit. Think about that. Not only do you shoot him, but then you go and bash him with a hammer. It's a lot of rage. That's a lot of rage. Eric then walked into the family room where his 11-year-old half-brother was watching television, aimed the rifle at his brother's head, and shot him. Using the same hammer he bludgeoned Eve with, Eric then beat in the head of his 11-year-old brother. Yeah, so you already see the jealousy pent up in there. That's what I was about to say. The resentment and the jealousy. After hiding the bodies and cleaning up the trails and splatters of blood, he calmly waited for his mother to return home from church. Around 8 p.m., his mother entered the kitchen, and Eric shot her once in the head, killing her instantly. Marie Jean, however, was spared the hammer. So that's interesting, it right? Is. So you can see where all his resentment and all his jealousy was aimed towards. And he's mad at his mom, so she gets to die too, but yet the other ones get the bludgeoning and just the pure hatred from this kid. That's very interesting. I would agree. Once again, Eric cleaned up the blood, then covered the three bodies with sheets and packed a book bag with some biscuits, money, a raincoat, a handgun that fired harmless rubber bullets, and a map of the town of Limoji. Stuffing his pockets full of ammunition and armed with the rifle that he had used to wipe out his family, Eric, dressed in all black, closed the shutters and locked the steel gate of his family's home. He then set out on foot and walked four miles to the small village of Curis, where his best and only friend, Alan Gilliman, lived. Around 7.15 a.m., Eric arrived at Alan's house and asked Alan's mother to wake him. The two then had a discussion in the garden. 
It seemed to those who have witnessed it from afar that Eric had asked the questions and Alan replied. When Alan turned to go back into the house, Eric shot him in the back, fatally wounding him. A few news articles, however, reported that Alan was shot in the head, but the majority of them stated the fatal wound was to the back. So I'm going to go with the back. Me too. I think that's accurate with everything that we know about this case and what happened. I think that's more accurate. Now, Eric's first four killings, that of his family and his best friend, seemed to be purposely chosen victims. But after that, there was no longer any method to his madness. I think this is where the break comes in. You know, I mean, he's been so abused and so mistreated, and then he's just done something beyond his own reason, and he just breaks. I agree, too, especially because when he was saying that he wanted to kill himself to classmates, and then he told him that he was going to kill two or three people, I think he already had in mind that it was going to be his mother, his stepfather, and the brother. Sure, absolutely. I think he'd already done it, and I think that, like Sensitized him. He was done, lost touch with reality, and that's often what happens with kids who commit parasite when they come back to it from what I call a psychotic break. When they come back, they're remorseful, and they, they can't believe what they did. But he's just lost all touch with reality at this point. And then it's just like, I'm going to continue until I snap back into it or I'm stopped. I would agree with that. After shooting Alan, Eric casually walked to the quiet town square of Curis with his loaded rifle. At first, no one was suspicious as it was hunting season and the villagers assumed he was just another kid out hunting birds with his dad's gun. Around 7.30 a.m., Eric calmly opened fire shooting people at random. He first shot through an open window killing retired Jeanette Villette and wounding her husband in the shoulder. He then turned his rifle on Denise Otto, killing her while she was taking her trash out. These are fucking terrible. I know. Oh my gosh, I took my trash out this morning. As Eric proceeded on, he wounded an elderly woman who was out walking with her husband, and when two brothers who were retired farm workers crossed his path, he shot both, wounding them. A local of Curis later stated to the press that at first he thought someone was setting off fireworks, And then he had seen Eric shooting a rifle in the air and thought he was trying to shoot at the pigeons. That was until he saw that someone had been wounded. The local recalled that the shooter had a peaceful look, calmly reloading his rifle. Yikes, he's really on his break. Yep. Eric then crossed the street to where shopkeeper Mario Pagani had been buying a newspaper and killed him with a shot to the abdomen and head. He then aimed his rifle once again and killed Mohammed Murad, who was sitting in front of Café du Commerce, drinking his morning coffee. Man, these people are just going about their daily routine. Crazy. By this time, pandemonium ran through the streets of Curis as Eric coolly headed towards City Hall, firing his rifle at random and hitting Rodolphe and Suryala through an open window, who later died at the hospital. The mayor and council officials who had been discussing arrangements for the day Senate election on the corner of where City Hall is located watched in horror as residents ducked into doorways. The fire brigade, who had arrived unarmed, had to stand by watching helplessly. As Eric made his way further down the street, he shot and killed elderly Andre Coletta as she was walking her poodle. When he came upon an ATM with Morris Bodon and Andre Tourette withdrawing money, Eric shot and killed them too. His final victim, Pascal Mustaki, was shot to death in front of Place Persona. In total, Eric fired 40 shots, killing nine people and injuring four others. I mean, just complete psychotic break at this point. I would agree. Around 8 a.m., about half an hour after Eric's killing spree started, police arrived on the scene where sidewalks and cars were splattered with blood and shop windows were riddled with bullet holes. As the police moved in on Eric, his only option for escape was to flee towards the vineyards about 300 yards away. However, he did not make it. 
Less than an hour after Eric fatally shot his only friend, Alan, the police had him completely encircled in front of his school. Realizing that he was surrounded, Eric sat down under a cypress tree in front of the school and calmly pressed the barrel of the gun against his forehead between the eyes and pulled the trigger. He was killed instantly. Witnesses of the horrific shooting sat on the ground crying as they recalled the traumatic events to officers. One stated that the culprit was shooting at anything that moved, while another said that the boy did not appear agitated. This right here is just so, so sad in so many ways because, you know, he finally gets to the point where he realizes there's no way out to anything at this point, And then he takes his own life, which you do see sometimes happen with, with homicidal people. And it's just a sad fact here that what happened and all the traumatic events that happened that led up to this point and then him taking his own life, very traumatic. I can see why these people were just horrified. Many witnesses stated how calm and poised Eric was while walking through the streets of Curus and opening fire on his victims. They remarked that he took great care at aiming and shooting, hitting most of his victims in the head, and returning when he did not hit properly the first time. Guy Sins, the owner of a cafe on the square, told the press, It was like he was hunting birds, stating that he watched the killer retrace his steps toward a man he had wounded in the stomach to shoot him again in the head, killing him. God, could you imagine watching that? Ugh. No. I mean, just terrorizing all the way around. fuck me up for life. Yeah, definitely. Eric killed 13 people in his killing spree, including his family, and wounded four others. At the time, the incident was the country's worst multiple killings since 1989. The mayor of Curis, Guy Gigo, stated to the press, The people are devastated, totally traumatized. The village is in shock. The bodies of his mother and stepfather and 11-year-old half-brother were not discovered until after the Curis shooting spree. The impediment for the killings was unclear, though. Classmates interviewed on French television described Eric as taciturn and said his room was plastered with posters of Hitler and neo-Nazi themes and believed in fascist ideologies. So a lot of times people see this happen when it comes into these kind of cases where they turn to Hitler and neo-Nazis. But you have to understand, Hitler was one of the best people to mindfuck you. I mean, he was great at it. He was really able to have the way about what he spoke, how he spoke, to engage people, to get them to follow him. He was really able to do that. And so when you go back and you start looking at Hitler and the neo-Nazi themes, it's the same kind of way. It's the same kind of manipulation that they go under. So people that are already having mental illness and issues with the mental breakdown, it appeals to them. However, there was never any evidence found that he entertained these ideologies or was interested in politics other than a few swastika signs on his walls, a picture of Adolf Hitler cut out from a newspaper, a few books on World War II, as well as a documentary about the Waco siege. Sure. I mean, you're talking about the things that he's looking at all appeal to somebody like him, right? These are people who were very low-leveled and managed to gain a lot of power and attention. Attention is the key here. How do you get attention? This is how you gain attention. So that's why I think this was so appealing to him. I would agree with that. Neighbors that were interviewed said that they had not heard a thing on the night that Eric shot and killed his family and had no inkling of what went on in the house, stating that they barely knew the family who, like the son, kept to themselves. As the village of Solis, Pont, and Curis demanded a reason for why this had happened, the police began clutching at straws, eager to give an explanation. Boy, oh this yeah, is, this is always a bad thing when it comes to the police department. <laughs> Thus, a profile of Eric as a lovesick, gun-obsessed outcast began to form. The police painted Eric as a neo-Nazi loser obsessed with violence whose mind had become fatally unhinged by the recent loss of his father to brain cancer and the rupture of his relationship with his girlfriend Caroline. 
Remember, this is the half-sister he said he was in a relationship with and had gotten pregnant. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Taking this theory even further, the police believed that Alan had begun dating Caroline, causing Eric to snap and kill him. (laughs) And (laughs) all the other people behind Alan? What's what's the story for that one? But this theory only lasted for two days when further investigation revealed that Caroline was just a figment of Eric's imagination and his father had not died of brain cancer. In fact, Jacques Burrell was very much alive working as a manager in the town of Limoges. Eric had contacted his father about going to live with him, but Jacques, who had not seen his son for over 13 years, had no desire to have a relationship with him. Nevertheless, Eric, who it seems felt unloved at home, was desperate to make the move and planned an escapade to Limoges. Some assume that Alan was invited to come and his refusal had cost him his life. Many experts have given their assumptions on a diagnosis of Eric, such as complete alienation from family and society or a life of explosive isolation. But the main witnesses who are all dead cannot give their side. So, Corey, I think you've pretty much given a yeah. explanation of yeah. why you think that he went on this. I, I think it's kind of rampage. a combination of the experts, what they're saying, complete alienation from family and society and not or, but and a life of explosive isolation. You know what I mean? He was literally treated like beneath everybody who was in his life. And he got to the point, like I said, that he just felt there was no other way out. Sad situation all the way around. But the abuse obviously was there. And you can tell that by the means in which he committed the homicide with his stepfather, half-brother, mom. You know, you could see where the rage was within this. But I, I really do think when it comes to Alan, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know what I mean? I think had he not come around and not been around, I don't think he would have killed him. I would agree with that. I don't think he would have went searching to kill him. I just think, like the witnesses said, he had no regard for anybody. It was whoever moved, he was going to kill. I would agree with that. This was an interesting one. Very cool. It was. Well, as always, stay Stay strange strange and unusual. We'll be back next week with another cocktail and a new tale of sinister minds or menacing crimes and mistakes they left behind. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and download us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite show. Want the recipe to try Corey's Sinister Cocktail from today's episode? Or have any constructive feedback or true crime stories you would like to hear us cover? Or even Sinister Cocktail recipes for us to try? Email us at SinisterCrimesAndCocktails at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.SinisterCrimesAndCocktailsPodcast.com, Facebook page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, and our Instagram page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails. Love what you heard and want to help support our show or donate to our Sinister Cocktail Fund? You can donate to our cash app at money sign Sinister Crimes, all one word, and we will give you a shout out on our next episode and which fund you donate to. Thank you. (laughs) 